0: This is episode number 72 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast.
1: This episode is brought to you by Willow at Home, an online video series to help you strengthen and condition your core and pelvic floor. It contains three unique classes combining yoga, Pilates, and body weight exercises. If you're preparing for childbirth, recovering postpartum, or want to improve symptoms of bladder leakage, pelvic organ prolapse, or diastasis recti, this series is for you. This class is available in person in my own community and was created by Stephanie Reynolds, a yoga instructor and owner of the Willow Studio. I often recommend these classes to my own physiotherapy clients, and you'll notice I'm demonstrating the prenatal exercise option in the videos, which was a lot of fun, since I loved doing these classes in person during my own pregnancy. Stephanie has generously given 2Birth and Beyond podcast listeners 30% off with the code Birth and Beyond. For direct links and details, check out the show notes for this episode at tobirthandbeyond.com forward slash podcast.
0: We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms.
1: And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health.
0: While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare.
1: We're so excited to have you let's dive into today's show.
0: Hey everyone. Welcome on to another episode of To birth and beyond it's Jesse Mundell
1: and Anita Lambert. And today we're so lucky to have Dr. Nicole Calloway Rankins on the podcast. Thank you so much for being
2: on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation
1: um i first heard you on the evidence-based birth podcast with rebecca decker Uh and then through that learned about your podcast all about pregnancy and birth which i do highly recommend anyone who's thinking of becoming pregnant or is pregnant definitely go listen thank Um, you so much (laughs) yeah no it's fantastic And um, so today we're going to be talking about a lot of important topics, including the role of a hospitalist obstetrician, uh, Nicole's own pregnancy and birth experiences, and how they've impacted her work as an OBGYN physician and integrative health coach, also Black maternal health care and the racial disparities that exist within this system, which we feel is really important to be talking about. We're also going to be having Nicole share about why she feels birth plans and childbirth education classes are important for expecting parents. So, for those who don't know Nicole, she's a wife, a mother of two, an OBGYN physician, a podcast host, a women's health advocate, and certified integrative health coach. She's dedicated to helping women have healthy births and healthy lives. In addition to providing safe and respectful and personalized care to women during labor as an OB hospitalist physician, Nicole is also the host of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast, a go-to source for comprehensive, evidence-based, holistic information about pregnancy and birth. She's also the creator of the Birth Preparation Course, an online childbirth education class that leaves women feeling knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into birth. Um, So yeah, we are so excited to chat with you today. So can you share a little bit more about yourself and kind of what brought you into this line of work?
2: Sure. Uh, Well, first, let me say I'm trying not to get fixated on the way you say about because I love the way it sounds.
1: (laughs) It's so funny because I feel like we don't notice it, but other people do. Yes, comment
2: on it. I just love the way it sounds. So there. (laughs) All right, let me focus on the (laughs) tasking. So um, oddly enough, I started out in um, college, majoring in math and mechanical engineering, and then had a change of plans. You know, I always try to think about like what led me to medicine, but honestly, it was felt like a calling. Something said apply to medical school. You should go to medical school. So I did. And initially I thought I was going to do either general surgery or OBGYN because I like doing procedures and things with my hands. But um, on my surgery rotation, I used to get like hit on by patients, which drove me, you know, insane. There's a whole another story about how women get you know, harassed in medicine. But anyway, I knew that I wanted to help women and OBGYN just came the natural choice. And um, I initially thought, and I'm trying to make the story as short as possible, but I initially thought I was going to do GYN oncology, which is gynecology, cancer, taking care of women who have uh, cancer related to GYN organs, you know, uterine, ovarian, cervical, that kind of thing. And then had another change of heart and decided that wasn't quite the right fit for me and um, ended up going into general OBGYN thinking I was going to do combined Patient care and research. So I did a research fellowship. Uh, short story is I did research or attempted to for at least seven about seven years in academic medicine. Turned out not to be the right fit for me. Had sort of this big, major, not pleasant um, separation from a from a job that caused me to rethink what I was doing. And over the course of the time as that I was um, in academics. I, was developing more of a love for obstetrics and realizing how much I really enjoyed being part of birth in this really special event. And uh, as God, the universe, whatever you call it, would have it. I was looking for a new job, went to my OBGYN appointment, and she said, you know, at our hospital, we're looking for a new hospitalist. Uh, We have an opening and um, maybe it's something you want to check out. And so I ended up taking the position, falling in love with it. It's its perfect for me and what I do. And here I am today. And then some of the other things came along with it, evolving with um, how to figure out what works for me and best using my talents and how to best be of service for women.
0: So cool. So you are based in the U.S. then, correct? Correct. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. Okay, mm-hmm. so... For the Canadians in the crowd, or maybe other people who are not familiar with what a hospitalist obstetrician is, can you explain Uh that for us?
2: Yeah, so 99% of what I do is deliver babies. I only work in the hospital. I don't have an office practice at all. So we we only work in the hospital, and I do shift work, essentially. So I work a 24-hour shift at a time, and I take care of whatever women come to the hospital during my shift. Most of the time, it's women who are in labor, but sometimes it's women who are, I see in the emergency room that have GYN issues, that kind of thing. Um, but most of what I do is deliver babies. It's a little bit different because I I haven't met these women before, and I'm walking into their birth doing like the critical, the critical time. So
0: yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So all vaginal births is what you are working with.
2: Vaginal births and C-section. So if they need a C-section, then yeah, I would do the C-section also. Do you not have, is there not a similar model in um, Canada?
1: I've been looking, I, I don't know, to be honest, it's not something that I've heard of. Right. Um, But even being in Toronto, which is like the, the major city center here, uh-huh. um, I hadn't heard of it, but it may exist. I think okay. really, I see a lot of benefits in it. I'm wondering what, what do you feel being in that role? What benefits do you see of having a hospitalist OB?
2: Sure. Yeah. So the benefits are that for one, it, um, it, it, it actually increases the rates of vaginal deliveries Um, and patients are safer. And there are two reasons for that. One is there's Typically not necessarily outside of a hospital's program. There may not be an OBGYN in the hospital 24-7. So the safety issue is if something happens and there's always something there, somebody there to deal with any emergencies that may happen. As far as increasing the rate of vaginal deliveries, the truth is that there has been, you know, you have this sort of five o'clock, five p.m., six p.m creep when people are wanting to go home and somebody hasn't been delivered by then and people were getting higher c-section rates um, and and unnecessary c-sections so when you have a hospitalist who's there 24 7 um, there's no pressure for me to rush anything it doesn't change anything about when i go home or when i don't go home i'm I'm there to be a to service and to help so um, women have more time and labor like they should
1: God, that's amazing. Do you find, is that available in most hospitals in the U S no, that mm-hmm. comment? It's, it's, no,
2: no, it's a fairly new concept in terms of OB care. So maybe within the last 10 years or so, but it's definitely starting to take off and grow. Pretty rapidly now, there have been some variations where hospital practices or group practices have doctors who are on call. There's always somebody who's available from a group, but they may not stay in the hospital. So this phenomenon of having a OB doctor in the hospital 24 seven is is fairly new. Now there there are some flip side. The flip side there are some disadvantages um, as you maybe picked up on that. And as I said, that, that women don't know me, so they're meeting me for the first time. So that can be a little bit challenging for women to not know who's going to be there for the delivery. But that's kind of similar to if you have a doctor who's on call, similar thing kind of happens, who you may not know the doctor that's there for the delivery. So not totally unheard of. It's very common in the U.S. that who you see for your pregnancy may not be for your delivery. So it's not um, not entirely unheard of.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say that the majority of my U.S.-based clients are delivering in that manner. They Mm -hmm. might be with a group of OBs and whoever is there is there. Exactly. But for me, with my first birth, it was a similar situation. I was with midwives. We transferred to the hospital and then the on-call OB took over our care eventually. So similar situation, we might just... Yeah. It might just work in a bit of a different manner and we call it different things here in gotcha. Canada. Yeah. Right. That yeah. sounds incredible. How many shifts do you work per week? Uh, usually two.
2: So mostly it, we do our, our schedule in four week blocks. So in four weeks I'll work seven shifts. So one or two, usually two.
0: Yeah. Cool. And you have kids, right? I
2: do I have two girls. They're nine and 11,
0: nine and 11. Okay. How do you find that lifestyle?
2: Um, I like it because it gives me the flexibility to do things with them or go to things at their school. Um, so I, I definitely like it uh, quite a bit, actually. So that's one of the benefits for, for me is that it allows me to do some some of the other things that I'd like to do. It also gives me time to do things like make a podcast so. <laughs> and provide information in other ways. So I'm happy with it.
1: And I know on your podcast, you've shared about both of your birth experiences. Uh-huh. Um, I was wondering if you're open to sharing a bit about that. And then also how did those experiences, um, you know, play a role afterwards and how your role was as a hospitalist OB?
2: Yeah. So with the first one, she was born eight weeks early at 32 weeks, and she had a condition called duodenal atresia where the first part of her intestines wasn't connected to the last part. So I was already a nervous Nellie going into the pregnancy. It took us, for like for me, like a kind of type A-ish person <laughs> who likes to have control over things, it took us about six months, seven months to get pregnant, which sounds ridiculously short. So for everyone out there who's taking longer, please don't, um, you know, please give me some grace and courtesy. It's just my own sort of neuroticism that six months felt like forever so i was worried about that so then got pregnant had an episode in the beginning where i had this bleeding like bled all the way through my clothes so that freaked me out and then i was just nervous i mean i used to ultrasound myself a couple times (laughs) to try to see things and um and then the one time that i was actually calm going to an appointment is when i found out that she had this problem that was going to require surgery so In that respect, it helped me to understand what it's like and just being a lot more patient with women and understanding the anxiety and the nervousness that can come with pregnancy, especially for your first baby when it's it's unknown and you don't know what to expect. And I'm an OBGYN for God's sake, so I knew what to expect, but still being in that position is different. So as far as the delivery, uh, she was born eight weeks early. I just went into preterm labor early. And even though it wasn't anticipated with this condition that I would, but she did and ended up needing to have a cesarean section because her heart rate was dropping and the anesthesia for my C-section was not adequate. So I before we do a C-section, we do this little test where we clamp the skin to see if the patient feels it. And when they did that clamp test, I could feel it like every bit of it and said that, but because her heart rate was low, then she, they, you know, they kept, they kept going. So that was very uh, painful. And then they gave me medication afterwards. that kind of made me sort of woozy dizzy kind of thing. Like I remember distinctly saying, you just gave me some sort of happy drugs. And because I started feeling differently. Um, but otherwise, the recovery from the C-section was hard. Of course, it was obviously difficult having a child in the NICU. She was she had surgery three days after she was born. Um, her NICU course was mostly uncomplicated, and uh, she went home a month later. There was one time right afterwards where she had a little bit of trouble. Uh, but for the most part, she was fine, and she's totally fine now but I remember the difficulties of having a child in the NICU. I cried every single day. I limited myself. I actually finally had to say, okay, you have three times a day. You can cry because otherwise this is going to be, you know, you're getting, it was just my way to cope with it and say like, okay, get your three times out, you know, space them out and then keep moving forward. So, um, It helped me to really relate in the sense of that anxiety you can feel during pregnancy, the challenges of having a baby in the NICU, and then for a C-section, for me now, that is always a hard stop if a woman says she's not feeling comfortable during a C-section, having been on the other side, then I always want to make sure that, that she's comfortable.
0: Yes. Gosh, having had two C-sections myself, when people share stories like that, that their pain wasn't managed well during C-sections, it makes my stomach turn.
2: And and I actually questioned myself and whether or not I even, like, was it me? Like, was there something wrong with me? And I didn't even really appreciate it until, I I mean, I did, but like the second C-section and it was so much different and it was like, oh, so I was not crazy. Like I could feel that before I was not making it up. And um, so just having that, that contrast just helped me to see uh, that, you know, that, that I wasn't making it up, that I really had this,
0: this experience and it affected me. Yeah, absolutely. Were your postpartum recoveries mentally and emotionally different after those two births?
2: Yes, for sure. Uh, the first one, like I said, was very, I was crying all the time, um, just because of having the baby in the NICU. The second time it was like totally different. Even the pregnancy was different. I I felt like the second time, the second pregnancy, if I could get through the first one and be (laughs) like, this is fine. Like I can, we can, I can, I can do this. So I kind of sailed through. I was not nearly as anxious. I wasn't doing stuff like ultrasound myself. I kind of really had gotten in a better mental space. Um, with that pregnancy and the postpartum recovery was was definitely much better. I didn't have any trouble with my C-sections, either one in terms of the recovery piece. Thankfully, I know some women do, but um, yeah, I, I definitely was a lot happier and things weren't as stressful the second time around.
1: Um, so we were wondering if you'd also be open to sharing about um, your two pregnancy and birth experiences as a black woman, We feel strongly that there needs to be more awareness around black maternal health. And we want to give some context to this. So in the US, black women are three to four times more likely to experience a pregnancy related death than a white woman. The the maternal mortality rate for black women is 42.8 per 100,000 versus 13 per 100,000 in white women. Black women are more likely to experience preventable maternal death compared with white women. These differences are happening even after controlling for other risk factors, including income and education levels. Research has shown that it's not race at the genetic level causing these numbers. It's not education level, and it's not the presence or absence of prenatal care, and it's not socioeconomic status. It's due to racism and chronic oppression. So we were wondering if you could speak to this from your experience as a birthing mother, but then also as your role as an OBGYN.
2: Right. So I think for me, it's probably a little bit different just because I gave birth both times at places where I worked. So they knew me, they're going to give me a little bit, you know, you tend to treat people who you know, I don't want to say better, but I don't think I had the same experiences as black women who didn't have that. But I do, you know, I have wondered if some of the stress that I experienced maybe contributed to me going into preterm labor the first time for really no other identifiable cause. I was otherwise healthy and no problems. Um, And I didn't have preterm labor the second time, thankfully. But this is something that my friends and I have kind of talked about. I have a group of friends who we are all black female physicians who trained together And out of the five of us, um, I had a preterm delivery. A second one had a preterm delivery with a severe preeclampsia. She was very ill. A third one had a preterm delivery with preeclampsia. And uh, a fourth one had a C-section for another reason. So just like looking at our own little sample, like really what's, what's, going on and it's exactly like you said that chronic stress and racism contribute to it. So I definitely see women and I've had tons of women actually reach out to me through social media after hearing my podcast and things that I've done and say that talk about some of the experiences that they've they've had and um it racism is a, is a huge part of it. Now it's it's multifactorial. There's some, you know, we all have some element of personal responsibility for what we do but i don't think we always understand that not everybody knows or has the resources to take the best care of themselves or get access to care. So you kind of have to look behind. There's a lot of in our um, medical system blaming in a sense of, well, why why didn't she come in for, she didn't come in for prenatal care or she's overweight or, you know, she has diabetes, she's not taking care of herself, but not looking into why those things are happening and the support behind it. So there is, that piece but then for sure there's racism within our system and racism is a loaded word in the sense that i think people hear racism and they think about cross burning and um, slavery and all those kind of bad things but it's a little more subtle it's more so implicit bias where people don't realize that they're treating people differently based on their race they may not be taking their concerns as seriously they may not be taking their pain as seriously. Um, I don't think people necessarily do it intentionally, but they do it and it needs to be pointed out and accepted and realized and talked about before we can make some real change about it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that with us and with our listeners. I am also interested if you then experience this or that you see this these stories, these biases happening in the professional work that you do and in the interactions that you might see with patients and other healthcare providers? Yes, unfortunately.
2: Um, And it's a struggle for me to figure out how to address it and kind of where to help make changes within our system. There's certainly lots of people that are working to help make changes for for women in pregnancy, especially black women. Black, um, black Mamas Matter is a group that's doing a tremendous amount to help improve um, the health, the, the care that women receive during pregnancy, black women. But honestly, in the US, we have a problem in our maternity system, where, period, where we treat all women in the sense of supporting their choices, really putting them at the center of their experience, um and not having like control over their bodies i mean when you think about the field of OBGYN, like the the father of modern gynecology j marion sims who has like statues of him throughout various parts of the country he did horrific experiments on slave women in order to um, come up with some of the things in gynecology and he's someone who celebrated um, he's invented the speculum and then to have that taken even further, the way we used to do birth here, like in the 30s and 40s, we would knock women out with medication, strap them down, in some cases pull their babies out with forceps, all in the cutting episiotomies all willy-nilly, all in the name of, I don't know in the name of what, you know what I mean? It certainly wasn't in service to women. And we're not at that point, you know, we're not doing those things now and we've made progress, but there's still some element of where we need to work on putting women at the center of the birth experience and starting from that as the foundation and working from that. And I think that for, that's the case for all women. And then it gets amplified for marginalized communities like black women or immigrant women. Um, it, It gets taken to a whole nother level on top of that
1: hmm. And I'm wondering if um, from what you mentioned and your experience, I know you're a very uh, pro birth plan for for expecting moms. Um, was that always the case or do you feel that's been through your experiences through your own birth experiences, but then also um, professionally that you encourage that?
2: Yeah, so this is something that I have struggled with. I don't know if struggled is the right word, but yeah, like contemplated. I certainly was not in the earlier part of my career pro birth plan. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say I would have rolled my eyes at a birth plan. Not that I wouldn't have respected it. I would have respected the wishes, but you know, private behind the scenes, it's you know, I would have rolled my eyes like, "Oh god, this is a ticket to the OR" kind of thing, which is obviously not true. And I think it's just because of that culture and system that we're in that it doesn't put women and their needs at the center of their birth experience. But over time, I've come to time and experience and just, you know, living and and knowing that women should be at the center and we should help support that. So that's how it kind of came about for me to have this option to help women make a birth plan that, and really I say birth plan just because that's what we use, but really it's birth wishes because none of us can plan birth. A woman can't plan her own birth. I can't plan how a birth is going to go. It's really the wishes that you want. But thinking about what you want for your birth and this process of not just check boxes of I don't want an IV, I do want an IV, that kind of thing. It's more really making a birth plan should be about talking to your provider about what your wishes are. And figuring out how you can best get them based on your own unique circumstances and so really an open line of of communication so that the experience is the best possible, because it really should be. This is something that happens like once, twice, maybe three times, and you know, people aren't having like five and six babies so much anymore. It should be a special experience. It drives, I'm going to start, you know, going off on a tangent, so forgive me, but (laughs) it drives me crazy when I hear people say, well, you should just be happy that you have a healthy baby and you're healthy that is ridiculous like there's more to it than the ex- that's like saying after your wedding well you should just be happy if you're married i mean i know it's different because there's a life involved but we should respect and appreciate the experience of it as well that's also important every woman wants to have a healthy baby like why would you think a woman wouldn't want to have a healthy baby that's ridiculous of course she does So, um, that's a, that's, that's not the, the floor, not the ceiling. So we need to do better about how we care for women.
1: Yeah. We love, we love hearing that because we feel exactly the same way you do that. That should be the center. It's not just a healthy mom, healthy baby. There's more to it, the experience. Um, I was curious from your role because, because you don't necessarily see expecting moms during pregnancy, it's more once they're in labor. Mm -hmm. How do you approach the birth plan situation? Like, do you tend to ask everyone if they have a birth plan or if they don't, are there certain questions or things you ask so you get a better idea of what they're looking for out of their birth?
2: Sure. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I think makes me a good hospitalist. And I'll I'll say, yes, I think I'm a very good hospitalist. (laughs) I can go in the room and I introduce myself. And I um, ask, you know, we kind of talk about where they are in their labor course and sort of come up with a plan. And then I always ask, what is it that you want me to know about your wishes for your birth experience? And then we can go through, some women say, oh, you know, I don't really have anything. Some women have more detailed things that they want. And then we just kind of talk through and um, figure out you know, make sure we're on the same page about getting those things. So it's really not that complicated. That's the thing that's even more like, I don't know, it, it it's not as, it's not really that complex. Mostly it's just communication and actually talking to women and figuring out what they want. This isn't like a 40 minute discussion. This stuff happens in the course of like 10 or 15 minutes. And I find that it helps put women at tremendous ease and helping them feel more comfortable about what's going on just by asking like what is it that you want and then also the people who are there to support them who's everybody so trying to kind of um,
0: develop that rapport yeah I love that you said that it's beautiful and not radical it's not (laughs) it's just not (laughs) oh gosh we have a long way to go thank you for doing the work that you do Mm -hmm. Can you share more about your role as an integrative health coach?
2: Yeah. So I start, I, I went back uh, after, like, as I said, I have degrees in math engineering. I also have a master of public health and an MD degree. And I said, I am never going back to school again, again. And you know what I did is I went back to school again. So <laughs> I uh, went back and got training as an integrative health coach. And what that was for me was I felt like even when I was in practice and seeing patients in the office, I felt like a bit of a pap smear factory. Like all I was doing was just, here's your pap smear, going your way, and not really helping women make lasting changes to their health. So becoming an integrative health coach, and a health coach just helps women make or people make changes to their health in a way that's lasting. And an integrative approach is it's a really holistic approach, so it takes into account like how your relationships affect your health, how your spirituality or religion may affect your health, how your work may be affecting your health. So kind of a really holistic approach and using that to make changes. And I thought I was going to do more like one-to-one health coaching in addition to my work as a hospitalist, it was a little more difficult than I anticipated just because of stuff like, I hate to say like the business side, but marketing and getting people to understand what a health coach does and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it was a little bit more challenging. So in finding a way to marry the best of what I learned about health coaching with what I do as an OBGYN that's where I came up with doing the podcast and having a childbirth education class and including some online childbirth education course and including some holistic aspects in that. Like, for example, the very first uh, lesson in my childbirth education class is on mindset and the importance of that. So I kind of married those two, two things together.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And do you feel even, um, like when you're in your role as a hospitalist will do you feel like some of that integrative health coaching actually comes into how you do interact with patients or do you see some?
2: 100%, 100%. Yes, for sure. I definitely for now do some things like exploring people's, well, certainly relationships is one. So who's there to support you during your labor because support is very important, including like just even something as simple as acknowledging if they have a doula and actually talking to and having a conversation with that person and you know that we're all on the same team so that piece Um, sometimes it comes into play with like if they have relationships uh, like if they maybe don't want the father of the baby involved or maybe if they don't want mother the mother is there but they want her to stay in the waiting room so just kind of exploring some of those pieces it usually comes out when we ask what do you want um, for your birth or the nurse may pick up on it and we'll go back back to it. Um, also, again, the emotional piece and fears. There's a lot of fear surrounding birth and it may come up in uncovering that, oh, I, 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 if a woman is pushing and coming, uh, uncovering something like, well, I'm just really scared. I'm going to poop on myself. Like that's why I'm not really giving it my all with pushing. So just kind of digging deeper into those things. So for sure, I think it comes into play.
0: Yeah. So cool to blend those uh, different, um, those different roles that you have together into one. So helpful. Tell us more about your online childbirth course. Okay, so it's called the birth preparation course. And I created it because
2: I know women these days, um, they, they don't necessarily have the time or want to go to an in-person childbirth education class just because of the way our society works. So I made it online and it's very comprehensive. So I covered... Um, like I said, mindset. I talk about who's supporting you during labor, things like your labor room environment, the details of labor, things that may happen like a episiotomy, c-section, questions to ask, and a little bit about the postpartum period. And I wanted to do it both from my perspective as an OBGYN in terms of what I see that I think would be useful to women. But I also spoke with probably 10 or 15 women before I created it to see some of the things that they felt would be helpful to be included. So I included those things too. And, um, so, and I, I'm so proud of it. I'm, I'm very happy with this, this course and women say great things about it. So I'm really um, excited about this new way to, to reach women and provide childbirth education. It's also very affordable, which was important to me as well.
1: And so what, what do you feel is kind of some of the key reasons you feel like expecting parents should take a childbirth education course?
2: So I think it's really important to be prepared when you're going in for your birth. And I've kind of come around on this. Like I used to say, Oh, if you just want to show up and kind of let everybody do everything, that's fine. You know, do whatever you think is best, but I don't think that that's a good approach because it's, you're likely not to get it. You're less likely to get the things that you want for your experience. Even if you don't have a whole lot of thought about what you want, you know, so not all women have detailed birth plans or any birth plan for that, for that matter, but it helps you to know kind of what to expect and not be blindsided when things happen and know what questions to ask. And, and it just helps you to feel more at ease and in, control about the situation, not that you can control birth, but that you can control like your response to the things that, that, that happens. And you're not, like I said, caught, um, caught blindsided by what happens, particularly in an instance where you don't know who's going to be there necessarily for your delivery, then you want to be prepared for the, the possibilities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, just on that basic level of having an understanding of what could happen in all these different scenarios that birth can result in, just, I think that that can bring a lot of peace to a person, a whole situation. Absolutely. And that peace and
2: that that calm is really important for birth. I, I, you know, I come from a background of research and I, you know, I appreciate research studies and all that kind of stuff, but there's something about your body will not work as well to labor if you're scared. And if you have some concerns or, or fears, you you know, you kind of tense up. So you want to go into your birth, peaceful, calm, Having a better understanding understanding of things, your labor and everything will go smoother. Yeah. Definitely.
1: And it sounds like you probably cover a lot of that in your course. I do. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> in, yeah, the fear and labor and how much that that does you know affect affect each other. Yep. Um, what would be some tips that you would give expecting parents who are planning for a hospital birth?
2: You have absolutely got to understand the culture of the hospital where you're giving birth because that's going to have a huge impact on your experience and it's not always easy to find out those answers i do in my free webinar go through questions that women can ask but you want to find out like what is this general c-section rate or how do they feel about things like letting women get up and move and walk around during labor um Do they support, like, do they have tubs? Do they have shower? Especially if you want an unmedicated birth, then you need answers to those questions. Um, A a good way, of course, is if you can find somebody who's delivered at that hospital and get their experience. But there's some questions you can ask to just kind of get a sense and a feel for the environment and the culture of the hospital. And then also know your provider, and what their philosophy is towards birth um, and know their own personal like c-section rates and those kind of things even if you don't know exactly who will be there you can get a sense for or ask like what of the people who will be there what are they like Um, what you know what are my chances for c-section Um, What if I want to get up and move around? Is that person going to support this? What if I want to be able to eat a little bit during labor? Those kind of things. So I think asking
0: questions is really, really important. Such good advice. Yes. Can you share more about your podcast and how people can find you online as we start to wrap up here?
2: Yeah, my podcast is called All About Pregnancy and Birth. And you can find it wherever you get podcasts. I talk about topics. I have guests come on who talk about topics. I also have women share their birth stories because I think we all learn women learn from the stories of other women, so that's a and I like it too. <laughs> I have to say selfish reasons. I get to hear like women's experiences of birth afterwards and have after they had time to process it a bit, which I enjoy and um The course, my website is called ncrcoaching.com and you can find information about the course, the podcast, the free webinar there. I'm also on uh, social media. I like Instagram is my favorite platform at Dr. Nicole Rankins on Instagram, but also on Facebook at the same thing. So you can find me there. I think, did I hit on everything? I think so.
0: (laughs) Excellent. We will link all that in the show notes for this episode. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we finish up?
2: I am pretty passionate about being of service for women. I've figured out that's my purpose to be of service for women during pregnancy. And I'm passionate about giving them the education and resources that they need. My next hurdle to tackle is how to help make change from within the system and being a physician within the system. So if anybody has any thoughts or stories that they'd like to share about their experiences in the healthcare system and things that they'd like to see change, shoot them my way. I'm always open to, to hearing folks
0: stories and connecting with people. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. On the next episode of Two Birth and Beyond, it's a solo episode with me, Jesse, talking about and reflecting on my baby's first birthday. The episode actually comes out on his birthday, June 25th, and I'm just going to be talking to you through that year and what it has been like and just how wildly different it has been than I expected it to be.